You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. This podcast is sponsored by Rask Invest, my guide to money and investing on the ASX and globally. To learn more about Rask Invest, follow the link in your podcast player. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn more about their personal finances and get the most from their money. This series is hosted by Kate Campbell from How To Money and Owen Raskovich from Rask Finance. The Australian Finance Podcast is provided for educational purposes only. The information is general in nature and does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives. What that means is the information does not apply to you specifically. So consider getting the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information. Welcome back, Kate, to the Australian Finance Podcast. Thanks, Owen. Uh, What are we talking about? Well, Owen wanted to discuss uh, cars, mortgages, and education, three slightly unrelated topics, but... Ah, they're all related because they're the three biggest things that most people, uh, the three biggest expenses most people have in their lives. So... Yeah. Yep. I once heard a podcast, it's like, if you can nail these three things, then the rest of it sorts itself out. Yeah. That's totally true. (laughs) And we're going to talk about how you can make some very simple changes, maybe to like your behavior or your thinking. Mm-hmm. And these things are just crushed. You just nail these things. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing. If you get, if you can control the biggest costs, then the smaller ones, like having your latte, don't really matter as much. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, so you could count up the number of lattes you could save and what that would do for your super fund, or you could just try and sort out like your education uh, or for your kids' education and then think about that. Mm. And that might save you a lot more money. Okay. So I was thinking we could just bucket it into three different things. Yep. First one being schools and education. And I was frantically digging up some research on this. (laughs) But I figured it makes sense to start with schools and education as kind of the, you know, we'll start at the preschool, primary, high school, Mm. and we can maybe just talk a little bit about uni. But um, I guess why don't we just jump off with preschool. And this is probably preschool slash the early stages of primary school. But if you ever heard the saying, show me the boy at seven, and I'll give you the man. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I have. Yep. Yeah. Excuse the pronouns. It could be 
the girl at seven and I'll show you the woman. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> but the idea is that, they, you know, they've made a TV series about this, Seven Up. No, I haven't heard of that. So it's like, I think it's UK mm. film series and it follows these young people and it shows them many years later and where they're at. And the point here is that as young people, as children, you're kind of just this sponge and you just soak up all of this information from the world around you. And a lot of your development is done during that time, mm. right? Like I'm not a biologist. I'm not a psychologist. Like I don't have all the facts and figures for you off the top of my head, but it's pretty well known and there's a lot of study that backs this up. I went in search of this study and talked and trying to find preschool research that supports putting kids through education uh, whether it's just childcare or whether it's uh, extracurricular activities, so things done in the home, or whether it's just send your kids to do something. And one of the quotes I have here, and this is a pretty cool one, is that well-designed early childhood interventions, or just think of study, has been found to generate a return to society ranging from $1.80 to $17.07 <laughs> for each dollar spent on the program. So you kind of like, it's pretty specific. Yeah. And it says to society... Right, but the thing is here. Like, so imagine you know you have people, you take your kids to early you know, childcare, that other people come into your house and teach your kids, whatever. Mm. The point is here. The study was based on something to show that you know if you end up in prison by like the age sixteen, <laughs> let's just say that's going to lose you a lot of money, and then if like and lose society, the government, yeah, a lot yeah. of money. But then if you go on to you know be very successful in your career and blah, 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 pay taxes, then that's a benefit for society. Yeah. But what it shows is that if you're investing in these programs, as you would expect, the significant that they are significant in what they return to you mm. and to society more broadly. And I just wanted to bring this up because it's kind of like this idea that when we invest, we invest from an early age and it has such a profound impact later on in life. Same with children. You invest some money now in, or effort and time and it pays dividends Many, many times over years down the track. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm. I think investing, it's quite interesting, the sort of switching the case around and thinking about investing in humans and their potential. And the thing is, you don't, like we talk about programs here, you don't have to invest money and send them to fancy schools. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But you don't have to do that from necessarily from a young age. So, you know, as most parents would know, I'm not a parent, just full disclosure, but as most parents would know, reading to your child before they go to bed is a very important thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got another one here. Research shows that children who attend childcare for three years or more perform much better on a four, year four literacy and numeracy test. On numeracy tests. <laughs> Jesus, how's that? Uh, oh, uh, I didn't attend childcare, no, did you? I probably didn't. Well, 18 months of preschool has a greater impact on literacy and numeracy levels at age 11 than all six years of primary school. Mm. And this was, of course, sponsored by, this study was sponsored by a child care centre. Yeah. provider but that's as most good studies are they're <laughs> yeah. sponsored by the same industry <laughs> yeah but the point stands so it's saying you know you, you invest three years in a child could be equivalent or 18 months of preschool could be equivalent to all of primary school in terms of development yeah for numbers and letters numeracy and literacy mm. yeah see what i did there you got Boom. it right <laughs> <laughs> but so that's that's just a uh, i guess a concrete example of how these things benefit yeah right so when we're talking about this from a bigger, broader perspective, maybe that investment that you make early on is super, super important. You don't realize straight away. Mm. And so if that's a big cost for you, if you're going through that stage of your life um, as a parent, look at you know, childcare and look at like 
rebates and subsidies, I think you can get all of it on the MyGov website and it links to ATO and it links all around DHS, all those types of websites where you can find more information. Kate, where'd you go to primary school? Uh, was it private think, or was it? Uh, it was public for part and private for the other part. Oh, you seem yeah. to have gone to a few schools. Uh, yeah. I've, mm, I think I've been to five. Huh. All right, well. Good for yeah, you. Maybe I've, four. I've been to two. I don't know, a few. I moved around a lot as a kid. Okay. Um, okay, so here's another study. At primary school, between years three and five, students at independent schools make similar rates of progress as students at government schools, while students at Catholic schools make slightly less progress. hey for the <laughs> Catholic school. <laughs> uh, yes, full disclosure, I went to a Catholic school. Uh, at secondary school, between year seven and nine, independent schools or private schools do only very slightly better than government schools, less than one month of extra progress per year. Whoa. Just throwing some, you know, <laughs> just stoking that fire between public and private. And the, Catholic. The debate. And Catholic. Throw that into the mix. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit of a laggard. I was uh, at a Catholic school. so yeah. um, But that shows you, right, this is from the Grattan Institute. And it shows you the findings, many different findings. So a slightly more independent study. Yeah, it is. And it shows you, it kind of throws caution to the wind with believing that private is better than public necessarily. Mm. What this study found was that once you adjust for socioeconomic factors, so once you adjust for kids who are poor and simply don't have access or families that are very wealthy and do have access to extracurricular things, once you adjust for that based purely on numeracy and literacy, it's almost identical, mm. right? But as we know, there's more to life than numbers and letters in terms of literacy and numeracy. And so this study only tracked numeracy and literacy. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, did you say, what did you learn at school? The flute? Oh, I, the French horn in uh, French. year five. Um, yeah. So we all had to take up an instrument and I uh, got allocated the French horn. But What is a French horn? Uh, it's this sort of like a round instrument with a massive horn, like oh, round horn on one end. like um, marching bands and that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and it has three sort of finger. Yeah. I don't know. Notes. So it's a, bra- it's a brass, obviously. It's yeah, a brass yeah, instrument. and you've yeah. got to blow into yeah. the, the <laughs> mouthpiece and also yeah. use the three finger things and, uh, yeah. Now, do you still play of, today? The, no, no. Yeah. I, I think it seemed pretty lame for a student in year five to be – I had to put it on a trolley – like with a, a bungee cord, tying it on and take it to the bus and take it to oh school because I got the bus every day. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, so it was kind of lame to be a school kid having to take your trolley around well, French I, on. <laughs> I had to play the trombone at school. Oh, it's just as bad. Maybe not a trolley. <laughs> it was gross, honestly, and I would never have picked up a trombone. But you know what I did keep up and I really miss it and most people would relate to this? I, my, my parents put me through playing the piano as extracurricular stuff. Mm. And that was something that I still wish today that I did more of. I love getting behind a piano. Yeah. I mean, after that, I played the viola and that taught me properly how to read sheet music, which I still use. Mm. Uh, not for viola. I've recently started playing the uh, ukulele. So. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. Maybe we'll just do another episode of that. But yeah. my point with all of this is that's the kind of thing that sometimes government schools don't have access to because they don't have the funding to support that. Yeah. Whereas a private school does. Right. So I'm going to get to some numbers in a second, but I guess that's one big selling point for private or public. Mm. 
Another and, one is prejudice. And languages, I was going to say. Languages. Languages. Yeah, yep. good one. Um, so it's just outside of the core lines of study. But I think we talked off air about prejudice. And you were saying, because you went to a different school. And you went to a private school. I went to, again, a Catholic boys' school. Yeah. So it's like semi-private, mm. right? I spent half my secondary school in a co-ed and then the latter half in a all-female school. So it was quite a different mix. So Kate told me before this, I didn't know this, this before this episode, she told me something interesting. You changed because you wanted to change. You found the school because it was in the top 20, yeah, right, based on this list or whatever. And then you traveled an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back to school. Yeah. Now, I'm curious to unpack why you chose it based on what was in the top 20. Like what was going through your mind, do you remember? Yeah, well, at the, at the time I wanted to go to probably a more academic focus school. I was at a very broad ranging school that catered for everyone, but it wasn't really super academic focused. Um, academically, I mean, <laughs> who knows if it worked or not. Um, and yeah. yeah, it was a lot, lot of sport. And I also, it definitely has been proven that females perform better in single sex schools. Okay. Um, and I found the learning environment for me personally a lot better in a single sex school. And I wanted to go to a, yeah, a high performing school. So I did travel <laughs> for a little while until we uh, eventually moved um, closer to the school. But I mean, at year nine, I don't know what, like everything that was going through my head, but I was just like, yep, yeah, got to do this. This is the one for me. I completely drove the change. Because it's totally across the other side of the city, right? Mm. It's um, it's a hell of a thing to do. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so you're not alone because... Apparently, 35% of Australian parents now send their kids to private school. That's a lot. It's mm. a lot more than what I thought, to be honest. Yeah. and But there's so many. Like, there's a really wide variety of private schools, and there's heaps in regional Victoria that never sort of get picked up on mm. um, because you, you hear about a couple in the major cities in each state, but you don't really hear about all of the private schools in the country as well. And there's some really great ones out there. Yeah, totally. There are too. Um, so we talked about prejudice earlier on. Hmm. I went to a Catholic school. I'm not saying I loved it. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that I am a Catholic. I'm not saying that I'm a religious person. I just went to one. Hmm. All right, I didn't have a choice. So please don't judge me. But you went to private. I went to Catholic. And then I was talking to um, some of the crew here in the office. And we're talking about how this, I guess, stigma around hiring. So one of the benefits of going to a private school is, you know, that old cliche it's who you know not what you know and you tend to hire from schools or universities that are private but you were saying that there's a prejudice the other way people might judge you for going to private school Mm. right yeah yeah and i I know it's sort of like different life experiences i mean there's definitely prejudice going both ways yeah um different sort of expectations from you um yeah i don't know I, you can never only ever sort of see things from your own experience and then by hearing other people, um, you can sort of get their side of things. But there's definitely quite different views on public and private. Yeah. It's pretty contentious. Well, it is. It's a very contentious thing. And this is the reason why we talk about this because it's such a huge expense. It's one of the biggest things that a parent will ever pay for. Yeah. And there's so much misinformation. There's so much emotion that goes into it that you don't really understand the true facts of the matter and every child is different i think that's a really important point mm. too and i but my belief is that parents shouldn't feel like they're neglecting their child because they don't send them to a private school mm. i think that's just a i think that's way off the mark yeah um 
But I, I got to be honest, it, particularly if you're in the investments industry, it is a lot about who you know. Yeah. You know, you get the, the top investment bankers in finance or you get the top accountants, blah, 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 top lawyers, all that type of junk. They tend to be from the same schools. Mm. I find that's maybe it's almost a more male thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the female private school old collegians networks have anywhere near the same pool and they're probably a lot newer as well. Mm. But I think like we're, we're quick if, let's say if you're hiring someone, you're quick to go, oh, it's because they went to a private school, a public school. That's why, you know, it didn't work out. So that therefore yeah. I'm only going to hire from private schools. But anyway. Um, I don't know. Do you put your school on your resume? Yeah, you do. Like, uh, well, so I was talking I mean, to, it, to Catherine, yeah. one of our analysts here. We're talking off air. And I said to her, you know what? Yeah, you're right. The first thing I looked at on your cover letter was actually what high school you went to. Really? No, I definitely didn't. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I definitely didn't. That's the thing. Some, yeah. well, maybe some do, but I definitely I wouldn't don't. even put it on my resume. Well, well some might. Yeah. I guess maybe. I guess it's on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't even think about that. I don't really care, to be honest. Can you write? Can you analyze that's yeah analyze, a, analyst done okay. yeah yeah that's about the extent of it or do people care more about the uni where did you go to that's uni? and that's what we we're talking about it's probably the thing right the university is probably the bigger one i mean especially in finance it's like there's certain unis and certain qualifications have a lot more pull than others definitely and that's where doors open up at uni as well okay i want to just throw something out there so and this is, is tying back all into this and i'm sorry if we went off a bit of a tangent there but we did some digging on some numbers and just to bring it home for you. So I'm going to th- just give this to you and then you can go away and think about it in your own time and whether you would do what I think you might do. Okay, so let's say hypothetically that a primary school, a good primary school costs $5,000 a year to go to. This is a private school. At a high school, $30,000 a year per student mm-hmm. per year. You know, simple. But let's say for both of those, in the government version, it costs $2,000 a year, which is pretty typical. And these are all based on actual numbers. You can go and find out schools. Um, so we got at primary school for private, 5000 high school, thirty, and all of it for government, 2000 Yeah. If you just take all the money that you save from those years of study and you invest it at 10% per year, the net result is $276,000. So that's if you were in public school the entire time. Yep. And instead of going to private. Mm. Now, my point is maybe you could use that money for something else to provide more opportunities to your child in a different way. Maybe you could send them to extracurricular courses or you could invest in more early learning or you could um, provide experiences that make them more worldly or something Mm. else. Or a family trip, a gap year, maybe even helping them with their first home, whatever you choose. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And so... I think, you know, if you put it in that context, if you frame it like that, and if you're smart with your money, there might actually be no disadvantage at all from going to the government school. Mm. And then you can, on top of that, we can add in if you go to a suburb where you are accepted into like a catchment area for a high quality government school, you actually don't lose at all. So, Except if you have to pay exorbitant rents to live in the catchment area. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're living in the city in a pretty nice spot, it might be a bit tricky. But mm. my point stands. Yeah. I think I would, I'm, as I said, I'm kidless. <laughs> if I have kids or when I have kids, to be honest, this is how I think about it in more, you know, 
can you make the home environment more supportive for early learning? Yeah. And then can you make this money work better than it could by just needlessly throwing it at a private school? Mm. And even like we haven't talked about the time, like having more time to spend with them, like how much extra work do you have to do to earn that 30000 a year? Absolutely. And Great point. Can you drop to four days? Can you have not have to work till 8 p.m. in the evening? More flexibility with your job. So potentially they might be in a public school, but you're able to spend a lot more time with them. And, I mean, I don't know what the statistics say, but I think that makes a really big difference in a kid's life. Absolutely. Uh, so that's – I guess we're just like uh, – we're not meaning to bash up private schools um, <laughs> or, or go, you know, pu- yeah. pro-public or like one for the Catholics. But <laughs> we are saying that maybe you can think critically and not just feed into all the crap that gets put in the news. Actually cut through that and understand where your money's going – the ROI, if I could put it in such terms, for yeah. a child. And this is if this is the biggest expense, you know, if you've got three kids, $30,000 a year, you do the math, that's a lot of money. So, you know, that's a lot of resources that could go potentially somewhere else. Yeah, I think, and also just one thing, that you might see the cost, school costs 30000 a year, but that doesn't include books, uniform, camps, yep. excursions, trips, all sorts of things, so... Yeah, no, it can end up being a lot more than that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've talked about this sample size of one. We've both turned out all right. I think, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but I mean, like, would we have turned out the same in completely different schools? Who knows? Maybe not. But I would say that Australia does have a very high standard of education. Yeah, like regardless of what the stats say versus whoever. But you can go to a school, and it's generally, you know, there's good structures in place for most youth these days. Mm. Um, okay, so now we're going to move on to. Cars. Keeping the costs of cars down in your family. Yep. So most people, almost families have two cars, you'd say. Yep. Um, maybe 1.5 as we're about to find out in this little bit of research that someone I know did. Um, obviously, we think about cars and we think of like headline figures. We know we put fuel in it. We know we do services, blah, 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 maintenance, whatever. Mm. But it's actually quite astounding how much people spend on cars and the difference some very subtle changes can make. Mm. So I wrote something, and feel free to for, uh, slow me up here, Kate, but I wrote something for Rask Invest ages ago, um, and it gave the example of a young person that bought a car. Let's say it's um, a Commodore, and they paid 25 grand for it. Yep. Right? They got a, a loan through a big bank and are charging 16.8% interest. And then, you know, when you see it in the in the loan repayments calculator it says you can pay it off over seven years you go yep sure because that's the minimum repayments if you do it over a longer term well turns out that costs seventeen thousand two hundred and seventy one dollars in interest but then you'll also have around about sixteen thousand five hundred dollars in insurance uh then you've got roadworthy and rego five thousand four hundred and then you've got seven thousand dollars let's say in servicing and so you add that all up that twenty five thousand dollar car costs seventy one thousand dollars over seven years think about a young person (laughs) apprentice uni student you know, just getting started in the workforce, whatever they're doing, this person, that puts them way, way, way behind mm. the airport. Way behind. And then you, this is just one person with a relatively cheap car, 25 grand. Yeah. I wouldn't say cheap, cheap, but it's relatively cheap. Um, and then you've got people that have multiple cars, replace it more often, and all the rest of it. You're pretty much, your money's just going up in smoke. Yeah. And if you're still burnout, literally, it's going up in smoke. But this is a really important thing people don't realize how much they're spending on this thing yeah you know 
A um, new car does look good when they give it to you with the the big red bowl oh, on the yeah. front and you take your photo for Instagram saying my first car. I mean, pretty special moment, but uh, it's going to kill you financially. It is. but And I guess most people listening to this would know, you know, we're preaching to the choir here with certain mm. res- in certain respects, but I'm just going to throw something at you. And this comes from uh, Tony Hansen, who's a fund manager that I know from Sydney. And Tony had this crazy idea, I thought at the time, of buying cars from auction. And I'm going to read exactly what he said. And we've got a note in the show notes for this. And he says, I'll just quote Tony. This is all Tony. He says, the average new car costs $27,994. I was surprised when I looked into this as someone who purchased more than 30 cars. But about 64% of all the costs of vehicle sales are paid for by financing. Mm. Right? The average car at the end of three years of ownership is worth 55 to 60% of its purchase price. That's what we call depreciation, right? You would have heard that. You go from 100% down to 60%. If you buy it for 50 grand, it's now worth 30 grand. It means you lose 20. Living expenses for the average Australian family of four are apparently $5,378 per month or $64,500 a year. Now, that leaves, according to the average studies, $19,500 of disposable income. And you've probably heard that term. It's effectively what you have left over after living. If using the price figure above... We assume the average household owns 1.5 vehicles, which they replace every three years. The cost of depreciation to this family would amount to about $5,950 per year, around six grand. In other words, it would either consume a little over 30% of your disposable income or add nearly 26% to their disposable income, depending on which side of the ledger it comes from. So just to unpack all that, where is (laughs) everyone going? What it, Tony is saying here is that uh, on the average average family, after they pay for all their living costs, around 30% of that goes to a car or like the depreciation of the car. Yeah. Just the depreciation, the falling value of it. It's crazy, yeah. right? And then so what Tony says, this is how he aims to, he, he fixed it. He said, I aim to buy the vehicles as in at auction so well that I could replace them within 12 months by private sale at a price equal to or higher than what I paid. I would estimate this activity has added in excess of $300,000 to our family's net worth, given the money saved was invested at returns averaging about 15% or so over the past 15 years. Pretty crazy. Wow. And I mean, as soon as you drive out of the car dealership, the car's gone down in value. Yeah. But this is just... This is just averages. Maybe your yeah. family has more than two cars and maybe you paid more than 27900 for them. Yeah. This is huge, right? People don't realize this is 30% of the disposable income for an average household. Yeah, because I think you, you think of the cost of the car, but you don't even think about the fact that it's losing money every yeah. year. As soon as you drive it out. So Tony would tell me he'd buy cars for, say, you know, 15000 and it would be one to two years old, like a little hatchback. He wouldn't really care what he drives as long as it's reliable and he knew that he could sell it for a reasonable price because it didn't have too many Ks on it. And he would oftentimes, he would make a profit after owning it for a year. <laughs> How many people could say they bought a car and sold it for a profit? Not many. Yeah. And so, you know, this is kind of just coming back to the education piece. We just told you maybe if you cut through all the BS with, you know, the education costs and the benefits associated with it, now you've got this way to save money yeah. from cars. All of a sudden, in 20 years, you might be half a million dollars richer, depending on your family, maybe a million dollars richer just from making these decisions. Yeah, I'm not out here like 
you know, inventing the wheel again. Yeah. This is very simple stuff, right? Anyway, we'll move on. So the trick to Tony's strategy is go to the auctions. So just Google auctions and whatever your state's name is. Like there's some here in Victoria, I believe it's called Mannheim. And they sell ex-government cars, repossessed cars, all that type of stuff. And I think there's like Grays Online. If you've yeah. that. There's, well, there's heaps of firms that they yeah. have company cars. They need to replace the whole yeah. fleet every couple of years. Fleets. Yeah, huge thing. Like we we bought a car, my partner and I, Sarah and I, we bought a car. Don't mean to bring this like religious thing up again, but we bought a car that was owned by a nun. Yeah, because the Catholic or the church owned it. It wasn't the Catholic church. Oh, the church wow. owned it and they were selling them and we heard about it and then we went and offered them the money and they took it, right? And so you so, handed the money over to a nun, like a real well, life nun. Yeah, not necessarily, just like in the parking lot, like here you go. <laughs> but it was pretty cool, right? Like yeah. you can get a car for like half the price because they don't care. They just get whatever they get. You just pay the normally just a little bit more than the trading price. Mm. And so that's a way you could effectively drive out of the car park with a car that's worth double what you just paid for it. Yeah. You and if you really don't creative. have to worry about financing, do you think you can negotiate a better deal? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're paying cash, yeah, absolutely. Because they probably pay the financing company a commission or something like that. Yeah, definitely. You can definitely find creative ways to do this. Mm. So some other things that we'll just do here is um, when people say, I bought a car on 0% finance, it's normally the biggest lie ever told oh they say zero you're not going to pay a dollar for the next year yeah it's normally crazy talk normally what happens is they're quoting you the interest rate not the comparison rate (laughs) okay so another thing is never buy insurance or other i've got it in the notes or other crap end quote from your car dealer it's usually a ripoff all those add-ins that they just (laughs) yeah like oh you want tire insurance (laughs) you know when you you, when you're buying something expensive and you're like oh i know a thousand dollars doesn't really make a difference you know how they get your yeah. jb hi-fi you're getting a laptop and you end up getting sold yeah, extra as an apple shareholder i thank you for that <laughs> you're just so excited you're in the moment and you just get all the add-ons yeah totally totally um okay and this is the, the big one most people think they can't do this and i still don't know why can you get by without a second car it's like a simple question mm. you know i think Saving money is just like a measure of your humility. And there's so many options nowadays because you can, there's, I think it's car next door. My, some of my colleagues were telling me about it, yeah. but you can actually, like your neighbors can put up cars for rent. Yeah, it's like can. Airbnb for cars. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you can, can just borrow them. And there's all those, like the co. Yeah, you can do like cars, like those. Green I think cars. the best parking spots. It's like go get. I don't know yeah. the names of these companies. I don't, we don't endorse them, but. Uh, yeah, you can. You can do yeah. that. And you can just, if you need to do shopping, whatever, and use it like once off, you definitely can do mm. it. Yeah. They're around. And they get the best car parks because the yeah. shopping centers are rewarded. So if you're only <laughs> using the car once a week or maybe like once a month, and what, is there much point having a whole car yep. that you have to pay insurance and registration on and you don't want to be driving that car without registration? Mm-hmm. So if you can invest money well and you are smart to and or savvy enough to yeah. save it, you can start to do some things that are fantastic. Now, the last one, Kate. Mortgages. Is a no-brainer. The easiest one. And you've probably so, seen a lot in the media about it recently with some of the interest rate cuts. And a lot of media personalities have been telling you, call your bank, get your mortgage cut, yeah. your mortgage rate. Yeah. Yep. So we'll just, throw some, we'll just jump straight into the maths. So a $500,000 mortgage at 3.5% interest with $400 per year in fees. Most mortgages seem to still have fees, which I find is crazy because you're already paying interest. So 3.5% a year interest, $400 a year in fees. That's $2,900 a month. 
Now, if we change it to 3% in interest, no fees, $2,370. Save 500 bucks just for swapping interest rates. A month. A month. That's pretty crazy. Come on, people. More money for you to invest. That's it. More money to invest or more money just to plow straight back into the mortgage. Whatever you want to do. Put it in redraw facilities, offset account, whatever you want to do. Go on a holiday. Who cares? Pay it off quicker. Do something with it. Just because it says 30 years doesn't mean you have to. That's it. Yeah. The the most powerful time to save on a mortgage is in like the first five years. Mm. Yeah. Um, And so this is just a no-brainer. You've got the... just. Come on, there's tech. There's people who have written scripts out there for you. Just Google. Yeah. Need to call my, you know, um, bank. Call them. Threaten to leave. And if you get around. your if you get your mortgage rate cut down by half a percent, don't just go and put x. Say um, the savings is extra spending money. Just put it back into your offset or your mortgage. Yeah, yeah. But either way, no matter what you do, it's better than paying the yeah, bank extra. It's better right? than paying. Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. no reason to pay more than you have to in fees. That's it. With any financial product. That's it. These mortgages have so much stickiness. Like people just think that they have to be with them and it's just yeah. crazy. They think the bank has all the power, but consumers are starting to have quite a lot of power. Yeah, definitely. So if we were to add up the costs of saving on education, cars, and mm. mortgages, these are the three big things. Yeah. Drink all the lattes in the world. It won't <laughs> matter because you'll be saving so much on these three things. Yeah. Um, and you won't be losing anything. This is the thing. You won't be losing anything. It takes quite a bit of quite a few lattes to spend five hundred dollars a month. Oh yeah. yeah. I reckon mean, I could give it a crack. But. <laughs> but that's the thing. If you you control the costs with the really large things in your life, then yeah. your budget's a lot easier to manage. That's it. We talk about the jar analogy, right? all the important big things going first and all the little things falling around that. Yeah. Most people are so focused on, you know, I've only had one coffee today or, you know, I can't go to the movies or that's yeah, an extra $2. meal prepped all five meals for the week. That's it. Oh, you said mental accounting the other day, right? Yeah. You talked about how there's a bias that we have where money from different sources, we value it differently. Well, saving money is better saving 10% is better than making 10% on investment. Why? Cuz you don't pay tax when you save money. Yeah. Uh, so just think about that. And you're and buying your time back. You're investing in your future. That's it. So if you haven't, if you've got these three big things on your list, really think critically about them. Think, how can I get this cost down and where can I redirect that money to make more money? Yeah. Or if one of them is really important to you, that spending more money on education is really important, then what mm-hmm. other can you bring your mortgage down or get rid of a car? And so allocating that money to the important things in your life rather than just spending without any conscious thought. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good point. You know, I sound pretty anti-private school, but absolutely. Yeah, that's what you if value. it's important to you, then yeah, you just have to make it a priority and reduce costs in other areas. Otherwise, you'll be living paycheck to paycheck and not in a happy frame of mind. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> okay. So we've just nailed those three things. If you have an experience, I would love to hear about it. Yeah. You know, you can tweet to us. You can put it. What's the thing on Instagram? If like, You tweet to people on Twitter. You, what do you do on Instagram? You slide into their DMs. You DM them. So direct message. <laughs> direct message. I don't know if that's like, I'm just saying people spread the love. If you take a look at these things on the back of this episode, let us know. Let us know how you save money. Let us know what you think about education expenses, where you find value, where you think we're way off the mark. If you've got some great methods for cutting costs in large areas in your life, send us a message and we'd love to share them with the listeners. Absolutely would. Kate, thanks for joining me. (laughs) Thanks, Owen.
Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.